guys, welcome to Big Church Online. We are so excited that you've joined us today. If you're looking for any sermons or words of encouragement, you've come to the right place. While you're here, please subscribe, like, comment, share. That way you can stay up to date and help others find it as well. Now, let's get this week's sermon in progress. In the in the four year today, say that somebody has a birthday today. I'm 
not going to embarrass anybody if you don't want to say today is your birthday. But does somebody have a birthday today? Right here. <gasps> Happy birthday! All right, all right. All right, okay. So, but it, anyway, how many of you all remember doing these projects with your kids in school? Anybody? How many of you as a teenager or being in, you've recently been in school, remember having to do these? Anybody? My kids? My kids? Okay. <sighs> did you all hate doing them as much as I did? Oh, good. I'm so glad I'm not alone. I feel like a failure as a parent, for real. Because I'm like, okay, mom, dad, yeah, I got it. Grandma, grandpa, uncle, child, yeah, I've got that. Some cousins, check, some aunts and uncles. You go on further on down the line, yeah, <laughs> I'm a mess. I remember calling some of my aunts and uncles and trying to get information, and I'm like, okay, they're, you know, they're getting really deep into this, and I'm just like, wow, I feel really bad because I don't know these people. And I was thinking as I was preparing my lesson, I was like, you know what? I have three kids. Why was I not smart and keep Macy's? Why? Why did I not keep hers? So that I would have been able to do Landon and Logan's. I mean, I know that it's coming up, right? That they're going to keep the literature the same. So, all right. Now, I want you all to visit the thought about Jesus' family tree. All right? So, we see all the time kings and heroes of faith and great accomplishments. But if you read closely, you're also going to find that he uses people who weren't so savory for doing things for our Savior. All right? How could some of these people even be a part of the family of God? Or how could they even ever be used by God? Have you ever stopped to think about that? All right. So in the past few weeks, you've already, you know, you've already heard about some of the people that God used. So this week, we're also going to talk about another one of those people in a few moments. All right. We're also going to talk about, uh, you know, how he used broken people. Um, to do some good things. But I want to switch gears for a minute, and I want to think about, I want you to think about a time when you compared yourself to someone else. All right. Think about what that looks like for you. It can be serious, or it can be not so serious. Let's break it down, men and women. How do we compare ourselves? As men, how do we compare ourselves to other men? Women, how do we compare ourselves to other women? When I think of men comparing themselves, I think about gym moments. You know, you're in the gym, and you're having competitions. You know, who can throw on the most weights? You know, who can do the most deadlifts? Whatever, you know, I see my husband, you know, he goes to the gym faithfully, you know, religiously every morning. I don't know what they do. Obviously, I don't go to the gym that often. Um, women, you know, oh my gosh, I'm thinking of myself, and the list goes on and on. Of things I compare myself to other women for. Um, but seriously, we get into a habit of comparing ourselves. I do have kind of a funny story when it comes to gym equipment and myself. So back in my younger days, um, I decided with a group of my friends we were going to, you know, act like we were going to try to go to the gym and do stuff. Um, and so she actually had like a little gym was set up in her in her home um, with her parents' equipment. 
and we were going to get on the treadmill and see who could go the longest on the treadmill or whatever. Well, when my time uh, came around, first of all, her treadmill was not in the best location. I'll just say that. It was too close to the wall. All right, so we already know where the story's going. It got too fast. I thought I could keep up. Sherry couldn't keep up, and Sherry went flying into the wall. Well, I did have rhythm and stuff back in the older days, and I was, had a dance team tryout coming up. Well, I sprained my ankle from trying to do too much on tr uh, the uh, treadmill, and I didn't get to do my dance team tryouts, and everybody else did, so that ruined that. Bad gym story. <laughs> but, but when you start trying to compare yourself with other people, that's when we start missing the point of things. The Bible actually instructs us not to compare ourselves to others and that this is actually foolish behavior. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it tells us, we do not have the audacity to put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. So what I want to stress to you all here is when we get so fixated on what everyone else has or what everyone else is doing, whether it's their successes or their failures, I want to stop there and stress their failures. And you sometimes you think, why would I be so concerned about how they're failing or their failures? But do you realize that there are certain people that they get so caught up on how bad someone's doing and it stops them from being able to grow in their own walk with the Lord? Come on, come on, girl. And I can say that because it, there, it was no coincidence that Pastor Rich and Pastor Mindy were going somewhere this weekend and, and they wanted to call me to speak on Rahab. I've never dealt with prostitution. That's not why. But I've dealt with being stuck yeah. and needing to really learn how to learn how to use my faith yeah. and move forward. Because I've been in a situation where I wanted to be so fixated on seeing other people hurt because they hurt me. Have you ever been so fixated on the struggle, watching other people struggle because they hurt you? Sometimes we get so fixated on watching other people's failures. And that's all in a matter of comparing yourself. I'm comparing their successes their failures to where I'm at, what I'm doing, how I'm doing, how long it's taken me to get there versus how long it's taken them to get there. But they hurt me. Why is this happening when this is what's happened to They did this to me. You understand what I'm saying? So we get that point of being stuck. But it doesn't matter because God can use broken people. When I'm broken, 
He learns how to use me in my brokenness. He doesn't wait to fix me. He didn't wait. We're going to learn in a little bit. He didn't wait to wait for Rahab to call out for salvation. He used her in her brokenness. He didn't wait for her to reach out for salvation. She did that in the process. She used her faith later, but he used her in that state. So don't get fixated. Don't get so hung up on comparing your situations to others. I'm skipping ahead way too far. I think it was funny because earlier when I was giving my scriptures to um, Braylon, he was like, this is a lot of, lot of scriptures. <laughs> And I kind of laughed, and I was thinking in my head, when I took some Bible classes, there were different types of sermons, and the one that had a lot of scripture was called expository sermon, and I'm like, yeah, this is an expository sermon. I'm using a lot of scripture today. And it was funny because he was like, it's okay, I think sometimes we need it. Amen. Oh, amen. amen. Sometimes we need it. Sometimes we need more scripture. So our accomplishments don't define you, just like our failures don't define us. So it's good to have things in life that we accomplish and to, to thrive for those accomplishments. But we don't want to get hung up on our failures, but we don't want to get so focused on, you know, our accomplishments and not look at the prize as far as what we're doing for God's work either. So what I want you to think about now is, do we have any issues in our own life right now? <laughs> what, what issue are we trying to work on? I don't want you to answer out loud. Please don't answer out loud. <laughs> so what, what's an issue that we could be working on right now? Look around. Okay, if you have an issue, raise your hand. I'll, I'll go first. All right, now, look around the room. All right. Every, almost everybody has their hand up because everybody has an issue that they, that they are working on. I mean, we're all human, right? All right, so now we're going to look at people of the Bible and some issues that they had while God was using them. So Noah drank too much. Abraham was too old, so he thought to be used. Leah was ugly. Isaac was passive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Samson was a womanizer. David was a murderer. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah was mentally unstable. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. The disciples fell asleep. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan lady was a multiple divorcee. Zacchaeus was greedy. Timothy had ulcers. Lazarus was dead. And Rahab was a prostitute. God uses who he wants to use. And how he wants to use them. In the state that they are. God has been using broken and hurt people long before us. And he still can. Think about what you're going through today. I don't know what it is. Maybe your neighbor does. Because they might have came with you. They might know what you're going through. I don't. 
Whatever you're going through right now, before you even make your way to an altar, he can still use you. Whatever state you're in right now, he can still use you. We're not defined by what we have done, our past mistakes. But we are, are defined by what he already did. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. We're not defined by our past mistakes or what we've already done. We are defined by what he already did for us. So Pastor Rich has been sharing with us the last few weeks about the Hall of Faith. And I want to dive into the book of Joshua and how the story of the Israelites finally get to enter into the promised land after 40 years of journeying into the wilderness. So I want to stop there and think about this for a minute. I was thinking about the, the fact of time and 40 years into the wilderness and then thinking about time and how God must really value time. When we think of um, the story of um, Moses and when we think of Noah and the ark about how long it all took for these things to take pass. Um, and then we're, we're here now, and it took 40 years of journeying in the wilderness before now we're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. So he doesn't really, he does things at his own time, right? Yeah. His own pace. And sometimes we're all, right now, right now, we're so impatient. We, we are a right now person. And I, I would even want to say we're a right now God. That's how we are with God. We want it right now, God. I remember um, after I went through a divorce, my world was crushed. It's all I'd ever known. I married my high school sweetheart. So going through that, I was like, you know, I was a, one of those people that I was dependent upon him. So once you remove that, it's like, where do I go? What do I do now? Am I going to find love again? And I became that impatient person. So it was almost like, can you just hurry up? <laughs> and then you are that type of person that turns to every single, you know, whatever, dating websites, Whatever is out there, and it's ridiculous, it really is. And dating after 30 sucked. It really did. It was horrible. And it's just like they said, it's when you stop looking is when you find somebody. And then, the, you know, the, it was not a fancy story or, I mean, it was kind of funny, but... God sends who he wants to send at the right time, but it wasn't fast. It wasn't, you know, when I, when I thought it should have been, it took time. It wasn't 40 years, obviously. 
But it wasn't when I thought I wanted it to be because I wanted it a lot sooner because I wanted to heal a lot faster. But that's just the way God works. You know, he wants his timing. And it was going to take as long as it took for him to do what he needed to do. And it's the same way with all the stories in the Bible. And that's why I was studying and I was like, you know, he's going to do it in his own timing. And that brought me to, um, we had a speaker for our ladies conference this year, uh, Real Talk Kim. She brought a, a fire word, an amazing word. Um, and a couple months ago, I came across a post that um, she had put up. So I uh, shared the slide, I think. Um, is it already up there? Yeah. Um, Vera Wang made her first wedding dress at 40. Rodney Dangerfield's break in stand-up came at 46. Julia Child's first cookbook was at 49. Sam Walton opened his first Walmart at 44. Ray Kroc's first McDonald's came after 50. Duncan Hines introduced his cakes at 73. So it is never too late. So you see, um, I don't know how many of these people at their state and their age were believers in Christ. I don't know any of that information. But what I'm getting at is we don't need to put a stigma and restrictions on the length of time and our, our age. Um, because we've already saw that Abraham was old <laughs> and God still did amazing things. So we don't need to worry about the length of time that things take or our age that we are. Because if God wants to use us, he's going to use us. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is, what our journey is, or how long the journey has been for us through our wilderness. It's going to come to pass when he wants it to come to pass. So Joshua 2, 40 years after journeying in the wilderness, that's where we're at right now. Think about your wilderness today. How long have you been on your journey? Some of you aren't even 40 yet. So you haven't been there too long. But what's your journey? What's your wilderness today? And what are you going to do about it today? What do we know about Rahab? First thing we know about Rahab. She was a Canaanite woman. And she was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho. So in Joshua... Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Shittim. Don't mispronounce that. It's a long high. <laughs> Go look over the land. And he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. All right. So what we have is we have a pagan prostitute living in one of the oldest cities in the world at that time. 
and she lived in spiritual darkness. And now she was facing sudden destruction of the city. So we were told that she was a prostitute. So think about Rahab's life choices. What do you think led her to where she was in her life? <clears throat> we don't know. The Bible doesn't go into Rahab's past, what led her there, what could have possibly pushed her away from maybe a former relationship with believing in God or the re re uh, relationship with Christ. But think about you right now. Or maybe if you have a good relationship with Christ, think about somebody in your family that you've prayed for. What do you think pushes them away? What do you think puts them on the edge or makes them make um, poor life choices? We don't need to look down on anyone because we never know when God could be using you or when God could be using them. Remember, Rahab used God in her current state and her current life choices. He used her as Rahab the prostitute. He didn't use her as Rahab the redeemed or Rahab once she was recovered. He used her as she was. Okay? He used her right as she was. So let's not look down upon anyone because we never know when God could be using you or using someone else. And another thing to think about, God was soon to be using Rahab to help her enemies. The Canaanites and the Israelites were not the best to night to friends. Okay? So he was soon to be using her to help her enemies. Guys, have you ever thought that God could be using you to help an enemy? Come on, come on. Have you ever thought that your enemy knows more about you than you do? Have you ever thought that God could be using you to help your enemy or vice versa? It can happen. Maybe you're the enemy in someone else's eyes and you're going to be the blessing. Maybe the trial you're going through is a testament to the power of God that is shining through you. Bottom line, the devil isn't going to fight for someone that's not serving God. He's not going to fight for someone not worth fighting for. If you're out here doing things every day of the world, you're not trying to you're not trying to live a life for God. You're not trying to ask for forgiveness and do the best you can. Why does he want to bother? He's not going to fight for someone not worth fighting for. He's not going to test you. And God used Rahab just like this. Second thing we know about Rahab. She lied. Think about the last time that you lied to someone. 
Was it for their protection? Was it from to prevent them from doing ill harm to themselves or to somebody else? Was it for a birthday surprise? Uh, something innocent around Christmas time, maybe. Around any of those other holidays, maybe. We've all been taught probably in Sunday school back when we were a lot younger that lying is a sin, right? Okay. So why do we think that God still used Rahab regardless of her lying? So Joshua 2 verse 3 through 7 goes on to say, So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. All right, so we see here, that was an actual lie. <laughs> lie? Because she knew exactly where they went. Because she was the one who hid them there. Remember, we don't know Rahab's past or what led her to her life choices. But I'm going to say this. And I might lose some woohoos or amens or yes, come on. <laughs> but she led a life of prostitution. Lying and hiding men was what she was good at. Okay? All right. So it's what she did best. It's all she knew. So that's what she did. She tucked them. She hit them, and she lied about it. All right? So have you ever noticed when God tugs on us to do something for him, he sometimes has already prepared us ahead of time? Ooh, yeah. And if he's going to find a way to utilize what we're already good at. I don't think it's a coincidence that he chose Rahab, the prostitute, for this task. He knew, she knew how to do this job and do it well. He knew she would do great at this. It's what she did. She hit men and she lied about where they were. She was going to ace this test. She was going to pass it with flying colors. Nobody's going to find these men. Another reason that I feel like he was okay with the situation in this, in this moment. Let's look at James 4.17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Did Rahab know much 
at this point in her life about the ways of the Lord? In Sherry Kios's opinion, it may not amount to much right now. Rahab did not know this was wrong. She didn't feel like that she had, that lying was a sin. She didn't know this. How could she be held accountable for something like that when she hadn't been taught any different? She hadn't even walked with God yet. She hadn't talked with God yet. She hadn't had a relationship with Jesus Christ yet. Nobody had taught her about the ways of the Lord. Nobody sat down and had a conversation with her about the Ten Commandments and what they meant. How are we going to hold someone accountable for something if they don't know anything about it? I feel like sometimes we get sidetracked as individuals, sometimes even as Christians. If a person doesn't fit our social standards or meet our expectations where their appearance or social standing is concerned, we tend to shy away from them. God didn't look for these qualities when he called to use Rahab for a time such as this. 1 Samuel 16 tells us, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or for his physical stature, because I have refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God saw Rahab's heart. He saw her willingness, her love for her family, and her wanting a way out. She didn't want destruction for her life that was coming to Jericho. She didn't want destruction for her family. Maybe she was wanting a way out of the lifestyle she'd already always lived. What does your heart want today? What are you needing a way out of? What have you related to on this, the list of things earlier that you saw and all the other things? So we're going to find that Rahab has an aha moment. And sometimes in our own lives, we have that aha moment in our life. The next thing we're going to learn about Rahab is how she was willing to put her faith in action. When Rahab had her aha moment, she became a new creation. Really, she didn't have any other choice at this point. She'd already hid the men. She'd already decided, okay, I've captured these spies. Now what am I going to do? She's going to make a stand right now. In Joshua 2, verses 8 through 11, it says, Now before they lay down, she came upon them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is in heaven above 
and earth beneath. She declared it. Right there, she declared it. She switched allegiances, and she reached out to God in that moment for his mercy and salvation. James 2, verse 25, also reminds us of Rahab's faith. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So Rahab could have just as easily, at, that, at any point that she had hid them, she could have switched over, told the king, hey, psst, come here. But she did it. She had chose to press on, tune into her faith, and hold out for her and her family's protection and mercy from God. Because God keeps his promises. And God had done what he said he was going to do. He'd done what he said he was going to do for Rahab and her family. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do for you. If he's called you to do a particular purpose or a particular task. So Rahab has provided protection. Or Rahab is provided protection. So bear with me. I think this is the one that really got, got Braylon. <laughs> this is the longest passage of scripture. Um, this wraps up the story in Joshua 2, verses 12 through 21. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that have and deliver our lives from death. The men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. I want to stop right there for a moment. Her house was on the city wall of Jericho. We're not going to go into all of the scripture that later talks about the walls of Jericho. But when the walls of Jericho came down, what stood? Rahab's house stood. <laughs> I got cold chills right there. Rahab's house didn't fall because God provided that protection for Rahab. Get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours which you have made us swear. Unless when you come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. 
So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and will be guiltless. Whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which has made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Remember, she had just put her faith and trust in this process. She's all in now. And in return, her family has been saved and spared from destruction. Now I wanna take you back to earlier this morning when I mentioned to you about Jesus and the family tree. So we've talked about several scriptures in James and in Joshua that references Rahab. But when they reference Rahab, they reference her as Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. Guys, there's only one part in the Bible that references Rahab only as Rahab. And that's when she is mentioned with the family line of Jesus. And I want to talk to you about that for a minute. When we enter the bloodline of Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about any other name that's attached behind our name. We're no longer Sherry the Worrier or whatever you want to put there. Matthew 1 verse 5 shows that in order to get to Jesus in the genealogy, you have to go through Rahab. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. When we go through the bloodline of Jesus Christ, we no longer take on our past mistakes. So whatever you were viewed as, if you can relate to something in that list earlier of Noah or Abraham or Naomi, whatever was on the list, maybe it wasn't on the list. It might not have been on that list. There's so many things. When we get in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, we take on a new name. We have a new name in Christ. We're no longer Rahab the prostitute. She was no longer that. She was Rahab. She had a new name. She had a new family in Christ. She had new brothers and sisters in Christ, just like you do next to you. She had people to help build her up, not tear her down. So what is holding you back today? What is your Rahab flaw? She had flaws. We all have flaws. Are you letting people hold you back? Is it someone holding you back? Is it yourself? 
Are you building your faith? Or are you blocking it? Building, blocking. Building, blocking. We have things that build our faith and block our faith. People can build our faith, block our faith. Would you stand with us this morning? They're going to continue to, to play music. And I want you all to think this morning as our prayer team comes down. I want you to think about the things that we've talked about this morning. And I want you to think, what is it in my past that's keeping me and holding me back? Sometimes we hold on to something in our past. Sometimes it's just fear of something that's letting, that won't let go. Whatever that is today, I pray that you would just bring it, bring it to the altar, that you would bring it to one of our prayer members, whatever that is, because God can take that from you and he can do so many good things through you. So I'm just going to say a prayer over you all as a congregation, and I pray that you would just let God lead your heart into doing what you feel that you need to do today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this opportunity to speak to your congregation today. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would just let your Holy Spirit flow in and out of every seat today, Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you would just be with each and every person, that, Lord, as you see their past, you see their present. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now that you would intervene. Heavenly Father, Lord, you would allow them to come to you, Lord, that you would allow them to give you themselves completely and wholly to you, Lord. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that needs to come to these altars or come to these people that are here to pray with them, Lord, I pray that you would send them now, Lord. Send them to your altars. Send them to the prayer team. That you would allow them, Heavenly Father, Lord, the courage to come out of their seats this morning and to take that step. Take that bold step, just like Rahab had, to follow and walk out in faith, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. That you would allow your presence, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you would just intervene, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you're looking for more information or resources, you can visit mybigchurch.com or follow us on social media at mybigchurch. We love you guys. See you soon.